Well, um, excuse me, good, good to be uh, with you this morning. Um, I wanted to just give you a quick comment, some feedback before I start my message. These cups are awesome. I do a lot of guest preaching. I'm in a lot of different churches. They often have tiny little coffee cups. And when I saw this, I thought, way to go, Bethany Eastside. Um, I mean, if there's ever a budget crunch, do not save dollars here. Just cut Travis's salary a little bit. <laughs> Keep the coffee cups. These are, these are great. Um, and actually, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be back with you. Uh, two weeks ago, I was here with my wife, Kendi, and she dedicated the Fletcher kids. You may, may remember that. That was two weeks ago. Uh, so I had the chance to worship with you, just be a part of the worshiping community, uh, and great to be back this morning to, to preach. Uh, we are continuing this morning in the, the sermon series that I, that I hope you all have a sense that you're, you're in, uh, Psalm 23. Um, I told my wife, I said, you know, I would have called, maybe called that 23 and me, but she said there was a maybe a legal issue, uh, some kind of lawyerly, can't use a uh, business title for a sermon series. So is it rest, Travis? Is it call, 20, Psalm 23, resting, something, something like that? Um, let me read the whole psalm, and then we are going to focus on verse 4. But it's, it's just such great scripture. Um, let, let me read the, the, the whole psalm for us this morning. Uh, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table Before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless to our understanding this reading of his word. Hey, in just about eight days, I'm going to fly to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, meet two good friends that I'm in a small group with, get into the sailboat that one of the friends owns, and sail to French Polynesia. That's what's out in front of me. If this is my last sermon, I'm very happy that it was, uh, that it was here uh, with, with you guys. Uh, one of the three guys in the small group, Casey, had this lifelong dream of taking a year off from work, buying a sailboat, and sailing around the world. Um, what that means, I found out, for most people in, this, in, in, in our area here, is actually sailing from roughly here to New Zealand. Uh, very few folks actually go all the, all the way around the world. Um, Anyway, uh, I helped him sail from 
Seattle to San Francisco last summer, and if any of you are sailors, you know that that is a, it's kind of a gnarly sail. In fact, it's, it's unfortunate that for, again, folks in our area, if you decide to do a big sail, that that's your first leg, because it's cold and it's rough, and uh, it, it's not a real fun sail. In fact, when we got to San Francisco, I said to Casey, you know, um, this was great, really happy to be a part of this leg, but that whole Mexico to Polynesia thing, count me out on, on that. I just, I just really didn't want to do it. I'll spare you all the details, but between summer and now, it just became apparent to me that this was something that, uh, you know, not to over-spiritualize these kind of decisions, but I, I kind of felt God open the door to be to share this experience uh, with these really uh, just two great friends. and um, Anyway, so that, that's what I'm going to do. My, my hesitancy, I will share this, my hesitancy to do it is the middle of the bell curve in terms of how long it takes to get there from Mexico to, it's actually the Marquesas Islands, is about three weeks and I told a buddy of mine, I said, you know, I did some calculations, and if you could jog 24-7, you know, humans can't do that, but if you could jog around the clock, this sail is a little bit like jogging from here to New York. It just wasn't, and it just wasn't real appealing to me, quite frankly. But anyway... I, I, again, I felt God kind of said, no, you be a part of this thing. I'm going to do it. I'm getting fired up and prepared. And uh, would appreciate your prayers, actually, <laughs> for the whole experience. Um, but part of my preparation was to talk to another friend of mine who is a very good sailor. And I, he's done open ocean sailing. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to talk to Scott and get some intel, get some tips about doing this kind of open water, open ocean sail. And I thought he would hit me with a bunch of, you know, don't forget this and bring this and, you know, kind of a list of stuff to bring. But I met him in his office, and what he did was very interesting. He went to his whiteboard, and this is great because this looks like a whiteboard for this sermon illustration. I won't write on this, but... uh, he drew a, a kind of a graph, and it was, you know, the, the y-axis, x-axis. The, the x-axis was time, so numbers of days. Are, are you tracking with me on this? The, the y-axis was emotional state. <laughs> I, I'm completely serious on this. And my friend Scott, the expert sailor, said he's experienced this, and he's read about it, where the sail, the, the, the big trip, the crossing starts, everybody's fired up, right, at, at the beginning. You know, we humans, we get, we get all pumped up at the beginning of stuff. So you're kind of up here, and after a few days, it, there's this huge dip. You're sick of hitting your head on stuff. You're not sleeping well. Your diet is funky. Uh, the motion, uh, seasickness, all kinds of stuff. So up here, big, big dip down, 
for a while. I'll say more about this in a minute. But then, the, you know, there's sort of gospel in this graph. Then, and then you kind of climb out of it, and you even go beyond that starting line, and you hit this mode where, man, you are a sailor, and you are happy to be out there, and you've adapted to things, and it's even better. It's even better uh, than, than when you've started. And I, I think this kind of graph just kind of rings true with physical experiences. If you've ever done a long backpacking trip or something, you know, you're all excited. And then you can hit a point where it's like, uh, you know, this is, I am physically uncomfortable and I'm sick of sleeping on the ground, you know. But then, then you adapt and like you're, you know, you're just good to go. You're, you're energized. And what was totally cool is I met with Scott on Tuesday and uh, we preachers, you know, would think of this as God's providence. And I said, I, he was describing uh, the, the graph, which again, I hope, you know, there's nothing here. So I'm like pointing as if you're looking at a graph. I hope your imagination just kind of fill that in. But later I thought, and, and I'm like working on my message for this morning, I thought, uh, hey, there's kind of a Psalm 23 character to this. Verses 1 through 3, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is good stuff. He makes me lie down in green pastures, still waters, restores my soul, paths of righteousness. This is good. It's being in relationship with the Lord. This is good. Then uh, what the message translation calls Death Valley. Boom. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. We don't want to be there. Not good. I, I fear no evil. Sounds like a positive, but to me, I hear potentially there's evil to be feared. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, I hear in that, and I need comforting. So I'm, I'm describing this verse 4 of the psalm, which is my particular uh, uh, assignment today, as, as the trough, the, the dip down. And then the good news, the gospel, Yet you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is good. You anoint my head with oil. It was a good thing in the ancient world. My cup overflows. It's like it's getting better and better. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, it just zooms. It's like it takes off. And so I see this this pattern in the psalm, I think it's a pattern that rings true in life, not just the backpacking analogy and the sailing trip, but I, I think in life. And that's what I want to focus on now. Verse, verse 4 of the psalm, uh, again, the message describing it as, as death valley, and, and what do we do what do we do when we find ourselves in the shadows? 
in the, in the trough. What do we do? And I have two points in my sermon. These are listed, I believe, in, in your bulletin. First point, uh, though we wish it wasn't the case, life includes valleys. Life includes valleys. There simply are those seasons in life where it feels like we are living in a shadow. We may not, may not say the, the shadow, you know, the, the valley of death type shadow, but it feels shadowy. It feels hard. It feels difficult. It feels challenging. And whether spiritual or psychological or circumstantial, relational, physical, financial, uh, just it, it, it's that sense of, you know, life isn't real good for me right now. You know the t-shirt? It's been a wildly popular uh, logo or saying, life is good, like their t-shirts, their coffee mugs, their stickers. But there are those days, those seasons, where our t-shirt would, would read, if we had such a t-shirt, uh, to be honest, my life isn't good right now. You know, thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, but just seasons where we're, 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 we're kind of down. Uh, a predictable part of life, though when we think of our whole, whole life, right, it's not just a point A to point B sailing trip. It, maybe we cycle through this. This was true for David, the, the writer of the psalm. Uh, there's tons of material I could list. Let me just point out three things. Early in life, David found himself on the run, a fugitive, and living in caves. Not spelunking, but like hiding. Okay? Uh, another experience in his life, and it's, it's tawdry and it's tragic, the whole Bathsheba thing, commits adultery. So sometimes our valleys, it's like self-inflicted. Uh, commits adultery, has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, you know, arranges for him to die on the battlefield. Uh, then the baby of his illicit relationship dies. I mean, this is not, you know, the life is good t-shirt stuff. This is like painful, bad, dark, self-inflicted, but a huge, uh, it's got a huge dip. Um, and then toward the end of his life, his, his, he was betrayed by his son, Absalom. I mean, he liked Absalom, he, you know, all good, and Absalom kind of went off the rails and betrayed his own dad. So this valley experience was true for David, certainly true for Jesus, though it all kind of comes at the end, abandoned by friends, betrayed, wrestles in the garden, with a feeling of maybe being abandoned by God, right? Says what on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A sense of forsakenness. Um, so Jesus experienced the difficult time. Certainly true for the Apostle Paul. I won't read it, but 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 and following, Paul kind of gives his, his CV, his resume of suffering, and it's betrayals and beatings and challenges and all, all kinds 
of stuff that Paul experienced. So it's true for David, true for Jesus, true for St. Paul. And I, I don't know you super well. I don't know you at all, quite frankly. I know, I know Travis. Um, but I think it's true for you, and it's true for me. I'm just going to hazard that guess that this is true for you and true for me. I know my life better than I know your life, so let me just like toss some experiences uh, quickly uh, out that, that kind of describe what I'm talking about in terms of you know the dips, the valley, the trough. Uh, in my life, at, there have been times serious discouragement and depression. Uh, especially especially uh, one experience I had in college, just depressed. And you know how Friday was an, a really beautiful day here? I was working on my message, and I thought, oh, I remember like being really depressed, and the beautiful day makes it worse because you're supposed to be happy if it's beautiful. And it, you don't have to nod or anything, but I'm thinking maybe others have this experience. It's a picture-perfect day, <clears throat> and you just feel depressed, and the beauty of the day like makes it worse. I should be happier. I think the holidays can have that dynamic, too, when you're discouraged. Hey, it's Christmas. It's New Year's. Yeah, I'm feeling really fill-in-the-blank down, lonely, discouraged. Um, let me just refer to a note here, too. That college experience of, of depression, so this is God's redemptive work. I was not a Christian, and it was that feeling of discouragement and hopelessness and depression that actually drove me, I would say, to consider the gospel. And when I heard about Jesus and his love for me, uh, it was, it was life-transforming. Uh, so depression, maybe there's a redemptive, can be a redemptive side to it. But uh, that's a trough, you know, from my own life. I think of my work as a, as a pastor. I could regale you for hours uh, with challenging uh, experiences as a pastor. Most of it, <laughs> quite frankly, self-inflicted. But... Um, but one time it wasn't. I thought of this in, in prep for it this morning. Uh, so I started at Sammamish Presbyterian Church. We met in a double-wide trailer. And I was there almost 20 years, as Travis mentioned. And, you know, we experienced a lot of growth and, and building projects. So uh, I look back with fond memories generally. I'll tell you what I don't look back on with fond memories, though, was a time kind of early in my ministry there and I'll spare you the details, and it's, they're less important, uh, really not super important to the story, but I just got sideways with a former elder in the church. Uh, let's just call it an honest disagreement. Um, long story short, I found out later this person, and this back in the olden days, sent anonymous letters, like paper, you know, a letter, to anonymously, no return name or address, to every member 
of this young church who was trying to make it, scathingly critical of me, my leadership, my integrity. I started getting phone calls from folks. Hey, I got this letter today, you know, and you get like five or so of those phone calls and you think, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't isn't good. And man, talk about, you know, a punch in the gut. It's like you're trying to build a community and an anonymous letter, I found out later, later from this person, to every member of the church family. Ouch. Um, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, not that you would. Not that you would. But I know Travis. Anything, you know, you need to talk to Travis, just go talk to him. That's, and that, I'd say that in any church. Just, just go talk to the leadership or, you know, whatever. Um, and then one last uh, personal experience. About six years ago, seven, um, it was on a Saturday. It was in the spring. <clears throat> My wife said, hey, can we go outside? Beautiful, beautiful day, uh, morning. Uh, can we go outside and talk for a second? And I said, and this, that kind of scared me. It just sounded formal. Can we sit down and talk? Yes, nervous. Um, she said, hey, I, I went to the doctor yesterday because I have a rash on my breast, and they think it's breast cancer. It's called inflammatory breast, breast cancer. It's, you don't want that kind of breast cancer. You don't want any cancer, but it's a terrible form of breast cancer. This was Saturday morning, um, and I said, well, she said, I'm not, the, the, they weren't positive on Monday. We, we need to go down to Seattle to the medical tower that's next to Swedish Hospital. It's like eighth floor. The high-tech machine is going to take a look at things and confirm uh, what the story is. You know, you're just, you're, you're talking about a trough, um, and I, I said, did, did they say anything else? No. They, in the local office, they can't give the definitive big machine confirmation. She said, they, they just gave me these uh, mild sedatives to get through the weekend. And I said, could I, ha- could I have <laughs> one of those sedatives? <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, we, we went down to Seattle. They do the big test and, uh, you know, confirmed, yes, inflammatory breast cancer. And I don't, I'm guessing maybe something similar or, you know, something like that has been experienced by some of you. But it was, it was a, a profound experience of contemplating uh, losing my spouse Potentially. But then this was the, the weird one. And I sh- share this kind of in the spirit of pastoral care and talking about an experience. I thought of my kids losing their mom. And that actually made me, you know, you can't really grade these things, but like that made me super sad too. I hurt 
for my kids if they were to be kids who lost their mom. Then the weird one was I thought about myself just in the sense of if I'm the surviving parent, that means I, it was a crazy thought, but it was like, I need to be really careful because I don't want my kids to have no parents. Isn't that a funny thought? I never would have, I never had had that thought until facing this situation, this trough uh, with, with Kendi. I'll say a little bit more about that, uh, her whole experience uh, at the end of my message. But, you know, I'm just a guest here, so I look around, and I really don't know your life stories. Travis could stand here and look and know, but um, I'm guessing on some level or in some way, at least some of you are, are resonating with some of these stories I've shared. Those seasons when it feels like, man, I am just in one humongous shadow, and it's dark, and it's cold, and it's kind of scary. So what do we do? What, what do we do? And this is the second point uh, in my, my message today. When in the valley, and we see this in Scripture a lot, the word I'm going to use in a moment, when in the valley, we remember the Lord, His presence, His comfort, His grace, His goodness, and mercy. We find hope in the Lord. Now, let me say, depending on your circumstance, still see the doctor, still see the psychologist, still see the financial counselor, still see, uh, you know, the friend, the mentor. Get, get human help, for sure, depending on what the issue is. Uh, avail yourself of all resources. But what I feel our faith and the Scripture give us is a broader context of hope that we have faith in God and through Jesus Christ and the promises we see in our psalm that whatever we're facing in life, the Lord is with us. In fact, his rod and his staff, they can comfort us. Um, the promise of God's presence is our hope, and ultimately, it's the presence of God that can get us through those valleys, those, you know, sort of predictable predictable uh, valleys we face. Exodus 33, 14, and the Lord said to Moses, my presence will go with you. In other words, I will be with you. Uh, great promise. Matthew 8, 18, 20, Jesus said, where, where two or three are gathered, very famous text, there I am with you. Matthew 28, 20, the great uh, commission, behold, I am with you. I am present with you even to the end of the age. Jesus in John says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Um, and sometimes 
there can even be a twist on it. I, I have in my notes that 2 Corinthians 12 passage where Paul's wrestling with the suffering that he calls a thorn in the flesh. He asked the Lord to remove whatever it was, and scholars debate what it might have been. Uh, and the Lord, uh, we don't always like this answer, said, uh, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. So the circumstance or whatever it was didn't change, but there was this promise of grace in Paul's weakness, and Christ continued to say to him in this, this sense that Paul had for, my power actually is made perfect in weakness. So in the valley, the promise of God's presence is our hope. And again, I don't know you uh, personally, but let me imagine, I'm going to imagine that there is at least one person sitting here this morning who feels like they are in a valley. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and all of you are just doing awesome all the time. Maybe, maybe that's true. But I, I, for the sake of what I'm about to say, I'm going to imagine that there are some number of you that are sitting here thinking, yeah, yeah I, I kind of feel like I'm in one of those troughs right now. A, a couple of thoughts. Remember, the Scripture says, even though I walk through the valley, I, I walk. The, that valley process, man, sometimes it goes excruciatingly slowly. My friend Scott, the expert sailor, when he was describing you know, the, the graph, he was racing his boat from Victoria to Maui, meaning he went really fast. He had a really fast boat. Six days, he was in the trough with terrible seasickness. And I thought, uh-oh, I don't really want to be seasick <clears throat> for, for six days. I mean, that's a long time to not feel good. I thought he meant like, you know, you're going to have a bad day on this big, long sail. No, he meant for like at least 30% of the experience he had, maybe more. Forget the exact timing. It, it, was, it was trough. And I was struck by the words of Scripture. We, we walk, we walk through that dark valley. Um, You know, we can't, we can't rush it. You know, we, you know, like kids running by a scary house. I don't know if any of you, when you were little kids, sometimes there was a house that was scary or a, a scary dog. There was a Doberman in my neighborhood. We would run by it. We didn't want to spend any time by that scary thing. Get by it. Can't do that in, with things we sometimes experience. We can't, we can't rush through it. Psalm 130, verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. The night can feel long, and we're waiting. 
We're waiting for that first light of dawn. So you can't rush it, whatever it is. It, uh, get help, get prayer, remember the presence of the Lord. Uh, but it's wa- I'm, I'm sorry to say it's walking through the valley. Um, and then secondly, let, let others in in a way that's appropriate for you. It's really easy when we're in the valley to kind of withdraw, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. For me, I know it's like I don't want to be needy. That's kind of like I don't want to come across as, as needy. Um, I just want to keep it private. Maybe I'm ashamed of something, or I, you know, I don't know all the dynamics, but we can be in the valley, but we can kind of keep it all to ourselves. And we do that church thing. I, I hope you don't do this here, or, but I've seen it in other churches. Um, hey, how you doing? Great. I'm doing great. And sometimes you really are doing like great. And sometimes you're dying inside. And you're, you haven't eaten, and you're just depressed. But how are you doing? Great. Now, I realize, you know, there's context and setting need, needed. But uh, think of all the one another's in the New Testament. Uh, think of Paul, I believe it's Galatians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, I would just posit that... For those one another's to happen, we, we, in some setting, we need to be real with each other. We, we need some place where we can say, you know, to be honest, you guys, here's what's going on, what, and whatever that is. I think the argument could be made that some version of small groups is real key here. Uh, though we can fake it. If you're anything like me, we can even fake it in small groups. Let's go around the circle. How's everybody doing? Great! You know, because nobody's taken the risk to be real, you know, so we're all great, awesome. Um, I'm in two groups. Uh, I mentioned this couples group with the the three guys are doing the sale. Uh, Invaluable to me to be in a group with two other couples. We pray, we share. Try to be real. Uh, I'm in a guys group with two other different guys, one of whom is my graph, graph sailor guy. We meet every week for an hour. We say, how's it going? Share. Then we pray. Been, we're in our 29th year. means I'm like really old. If you can be in a Some of you aren't 29 years old. Uh, but that group is like, it's like gold. You know, it's like treasure to have a group. Because we, we can say to each other, hey, you remember like eight years ago? You were kind of complaining about the same, th- you know, there's some history. So you, you can, there's a lot of accountability because we can't fake each other out. They've seen the, you know, the cycles of whatever. Um, but get yourself in a group. Do it preemptively, right? This, I guess this is a kind of a small group promo, you know, when you're doing great even, get in a group, then the day comes when the tr- you're in the trough and there are at least a few other people 
with whom you can do the one another thing, love one another, bear one another's burdens. Um, hey, let me just finish up really quickly. Uh, I can't see any clocks. I have no idea if I'm going short or long, but my, I'm to the end of my message. Uh, should I just keep, should I make stuff up, Travis? I don't know what the, exp, what I want, I need the check you promised me, so no, just, just kidding. Um, hey, so back to that Monday afternoon with the, the high tech, I, it must have been an MRI or something like that, that confirmed my wife's uh, breast cancer diagnosis. Um, it was late in the day, so I'm guessing they like, got her in, is sort of my guess, because the place seemed empty. My, my hunch, upon reflection, is somebody pulled the string to get Kendi tested that late Monday afternoon. The downside of that is like nobody's around, so we were sitting there, the nurse came, uh, the, the person, radiologist, whatever, said, yeah, you know, it is, it's uh, inflammatory breast cancer. You know, sorry to report that. I, I have great respect and compassion for medical professionals who, as part of their job, have to report that kind of news to people, probably on a regular basis. Okay, thank you, you know, chin up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and then we, we leave out to the hallway. And eat. I don't know if you've had this experience. Those big, they're kind of sterile. Uh, they try to spruce up medical buildings to make them happier. But we're in this big old building. And, man, it was just sad. We were sad. The environment felt sad. It was a sad. It was l- late in the day. And uh, we were just, like, totally bummed put it mildly, press a button for the elevator. Uh, and I'm not, everything I'm about to say, I'm doing no pastoral preacher elaboration at all. This is like the straight, absolute truth. The elevator doors open. There was one person, you know, looking down. We step in, press the parking level button, you know, moment or two, this woman looked at Kendi and said, Kendi! And it was a member of Bellevue Presbyterian Church where Kendi, at the time, was serving as a pastor. And she said, hey, Kendi! Uh, and Kendi kind of knew her, that thing where you, in a big church, you, you kind of know folks. Hey, uh, how are you doing? You know, kind of what, why are you in this building a little bit was the, you know, how's it going? Love my wife. She's awesome. Well, to be honest, I just got a diagnosis of inflammatory breast cancer confirmed. And Tyler and I are like totally depressed. (laughs) You know, it's like, I love my wife. Words to that effect. We were riding down in the elevator and the this Bellevue Press person, a nurse, getting off work. Uh, We stepped out at the parking level, and she said, you know, my husband Jim is an oncologist at Overlake Hospital. 
in Bellevue. May he call you tonight. Sorry. And he did, which was the really, the really good part. He actually called. Talked to Kendi for a long time. Uh, that Monday night on the phone, ex excuse my tears, I haven't told this story ever in a sermon. And he said to Kendi, may I be your concierge for this whole process? It felt almost in a sacramental sense that th that meeting with that person and connecting to that husband was a, a, a kind of tangible expression, reminder that even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us. I better just pray. <laughs> Lord, uh, thank you for uh, this psalm, this, this poem of David's that uh, has so blessed us over the centuries as, as your people. Uh, and I pray especially this morning that this teaching on uh, those seasons when we're, we walk through uh, the dark valley, walk through death valley, uh, that even there you are with us and your rod and staff, they comfort us. Uh, please help each of us here this morning claim this promise, put our weight down on this promise, and experience your presence uh, in the midst of whatever challenging uh, situation we may be facing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.